Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Thursday, September 7th, we are studying Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 to 20. In today's text, two of Aaron's sons attempt to come before the Lord and approach his holiness in a way that the Lord has not authorized, and the results are deadly. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Stephen Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks. Good to be back. Talk to us about the book of Leviticus, Pastor Preuss, the themes of the book, what should we know about it, and especially the context leading up into chapter 10. Yeah, so there are a few basic themes that go throughout Leviticus. Um, We know that Israel is repeatedly reminded they are God's holy people and that they've been set apart uh, amongst all of the nations. And so as they come before him, they should be holy. And so we actually hear that that word holy 90 times in Leviticus. And so it's a very uh, important word as, as we consider the entirety of the book. But then we also ask, you know, how can these people of Israel be holy? And, and that we want to think about there that uh, occurs 40 times in Leviticus is the word atonement. Mm. And uh, so the first seven chapters really tell us how Israel can come near to God. It's, it's by the blood of the sacrifice. And so uh, four different sacrifices are considered in those first seven chapters. And then in the section that we're in currently, and we're going to kind of finish up this section, uh, is that it is through the priesthood that God actually uh, allows these people to uh, be brought near to him. And so in chapter eight, uh, the Lord gave uh, the consecration of the priests. And then we hear about the inauguration of the divine service with Aaron actually giving his first sacrifices. Moses had been doing it up until then, and that's in chapter 9. And today we're going to talk about, in chapter 10, uh, the, the need for the priests to honor the Lord's holiness by performing the divine service he has given them just as he has commanded them. And so we're going to be focusing on the death of, of Nadab and Abihu in our text for today, and that's be the beginning of it. But uh, we're also going to see how that kind of spurs on a, a discussion on the need for the priests to respect the holiness of the Lord by performing the divine service just as he commanded. And uh, that really gives us uh, a little bit of the context that we want. But I'd say this, the last part of chapter nine is something that we want to see is kind of the, the the clearest focus that we have for this whole section of chapters eight through 10. And in chapter nine, verses 23 to 24, he, we hear this. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar 
And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. And this will give us the needed context for our text today, that that uh, presence of the Lord and the fire that's coming forth, uh, consuming the burnt offering. We'll see how that has a rather tragic turn in our, our text for today. Yeah, as you, as you mentioned, this chapter details at the beginning the death of Nadab and, and Abihu, who offer unauthorized fire, as we'll talk about in a moment. And it comes on the heels of this really just awe-inspiring moment where the Lord receives the sacrifices. Aaron and his sons have just been ordained. They've gone through the first divine service. They're at this real, I mean, high point. The Lord has showed himself in his glory to the people of Israel. And then suddenly there's this turn, this disobedience in the very next chapter. In some respects, it it reminds me of the people of Israel. And again, this is at Mount Sinai, still in Leviticus. But a few chapters earlier at Mount Sinai, at the the incident of the golden calf back in Exodus chapter 32, you know, they're they're there at Mount Sinai, the Lord's revealing his law to Moses on the mountain, and what are they doing in the meantime? Idolatry. Here again, you have this, you know, wonderful moment where the Lord is giving to his people, he's receiving their sacrifices, and then boom, idolatry. And it's just it's striking how, and I'm sure there's other examples in the scriptures where this happens, but there's this this wonderful moment where God in his grace shows his gifts and then the very next thing that happens is is disobedience and and unbelief. And it's just striking to see those two side by side yet again here in Leviticus. Yeah, the contrast really is striking. And like father, like son, uh, Aaron Aaron yeah, did wrong, right. and now here his two oldest sons do wrong. And yeah, it, it it's really you know when we look at these contrasts uh, when we consider the death of Nadab and Abihu it'll become even clearer for us that uh, it is only the Lord's way that yeah. brings uh, atonement and salvation and grace. Uh, and when man tries to insert himself into it and do it his own way, uh, it leads to only wrath and destruction. So it, it just shows how quickly man can try to jump back into that work righteousness or the carelessness uh, that does not consider it the Lord's word, but rather would presume to do it his own way. All right. With those introductory thoughts and context in place, let's take a look at the text. This is Leviticus chapter 10. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near. Carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, 
Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, and between the clean and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his surviving sons. Take the grain offering that is left of the Lord's food offerings, and eat it unleavened beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place, because it is your due and your son's due, from the Lord's food offerings, for so I am commanded. But the breast that is waved, and the thigh that is contributed, you shall eat in a clean place, you and your sons and your daughters with you, for they are given as your due, and your sons due from the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the people of Israel. The thigh that is contributed, and the breast that is waved, they shall bring with the food offerings of the fat pieces, to wave for a wave offering before the Lord. And it shall be yours and your sons with you as a due forever, as the Lord has commanded. Now Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it was burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the surviving sons of Aaron, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary, since it is a thing most holy, and has been given to you, that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation, to make atonement for them before the Lord? Behold, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary, you certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary as I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, today they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, and yet such things as these have happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And when Moses heard that, he approved. That's our text for today. That is Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 to 20. Pastor Preuss, the chapter starts, as we've said, with the death of Nadab and Abihu for this offering of unauthorized fire, as the ESV translates. What's going on here? Why? What are they doing, and why such the severe consequence? Yeah, we we hear that they're, they've offered, you know, these are, so again, Aaron's two oldest sons. They're anointed with him as priests, and we're told that they offered unauthorized fires. Now, the unauthorized fire, we don't know exactly uh, what that means. Um, we do know that the coals for the censers were uh, to be taken from the altar of, of burnt offering. And so the question is, what did Nadab and Abihu do? Did they take them from somewhere place else? Were they offering incense at the wrong time? Uh, you know, was only their father supposed to be doing this? Were they drunk when they did this? We'll talk about that a little later. Um, what was the motivation here? And we really don't know, but what we do know is that the Lord had commanded so many things in this section. I mean, again and again, we hear the Lord commanded, the Lord commanded, the Lord commanded. But here, uh, very, very starkly, we see the Lord had not commanded Nadab and Abihu to do this. And it seems like such a simple thing we don't need to know the reason why. Uh, we just simply need to know that the Lord had not commanded this. Just of all of these many, many commandments, the Lord had told them not, uh, he had not told them to do this. Uh, and so since the Lord did not ask for this service, they were failing to distinguish between what was common from what was holy. And the Lord's fire was holy 
and it came from his presence to burn up the offerings on the altar. We just heard about that as I read that in the context of, of uh, chapter 9, verse 24. Uh, and this brought great joy and reverence to the people as, as this sacrifice was accepted by the Lord. Um, this uh, fire was to be kept burning as a perpetual fire we hear in chapter 6. And the coals of this fire were used to burn incense twice a day on the altar in the holy place. So Nabadab and Apu, what they're doing is they're offering, you know, call it unauthorized fire, alien fire, foreign fire, um, so that that which had brought the Lord's grace and blessing, right, consuming the offerings in chapter 9, now brought wrath and death and consumed Nadab and Abihu. It reminds us that the Lord is a consuming fire. Uh, and when that fire is not directed against the offerings, it is lethal. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of, you know, the whole uh, C.S. Lewis with Aslan. If you know, the Aslan is a lion and um, he's asked, uh, I think it was Susan asks Mr. Beaver whether Aslan is safe. And he says, what do you, what do you mean safe? He's not safe, but is, he's good. Uh, and so when you use this fire, uh, or when you use the sacrifices the way that God intends them, well, then you see that God is good, and that's why he gave them. But he is not safe. He is a consuming fire, and this is why when they violated, by bringing unauthorized fire before the Lord, when they violated his commands, uh, they saw immediately what the result was, and it was wrath and judgment and death. Yeah, I think the the way you put it that you know exactly why they did this or, or what was going on that made it foreign or unauthorized or alien fire. The point was they had done something that the Lord had not commanded them. And no matter how potentially holy it might have looked, there were other times where fire was supposed to be offered by these very people in, in perhaps even this very way. But the fact that this is alien fire, not according to the Lord's word, no matter how holy it might have looked, that made it unholy precisely because the Lord had not commanded it. I'm reminded of the the it's in the it's in First Samuel where Saul tries to make an excuse for doing what the Lord had not commanded concerning the Amalekites and the king of the Amalekites. Sure. And Samuel says to obey is better than to sacrifice, or to listen is better than sacrifice. I think the same thing's going on here. It is, yeah, and it reminds you of all of Israel where, I mean, the Lord says, you know, this is a, a putrid smell to him when he receives these sacrifices that are not given uh, in faith, in repentance, right? A broken and contrite spirit, O Lord, you will not despise. And so what they're offering here is not in accord with his word, and therefore the Lord says this this is not good. Yeah. Uh, and there's there's also the element of, I would say a, a carelessness around the holy things uh, where you are to have attention uh, and to to heed the words and and they're careless yeah so okay so the nadab and abihu die when the fire comes out from before the lord and consumes them before that fire had come and consumed the offerings now it comes and consumes nadab and abihu they die then moses speaks to aaron he says this is what the lord has said among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. What is Moses saying to Aaron there? Well, he's telling uh, Aaron that the Lord expects his priests to treat him as holy, and and the reason is so that his people will do the same, uh, and his people will do the same as they their sin is atoned for, and they see the Lord as the gracious God who 
pointing forward, will send his son Christ to be the propitiation for our sins. That is to take God's wrath for our sins by shedding his own blood for for us and the whole world. And so this is obviously a foreshadowing of which we'll, we'll talk about more later. But here, by not treating the Lord as holy, the people then uh, are not uh, able to do the same. They're misled by these priests and God's name, uh, the Lord, is not glorified either. And it must have been a very hard thing for Aaron to hear. I mean, uh, the inclination oftentimes is to want to justify your your own, uh, justify your own children or justify yourself. Uh, here, Aaron held his peace and accepted, you know, having heard the very detailed commands of the Lord, he accepted this punishment of his sons with silence, knowing that the Lord was right and also knowing that there was nothing he could do about it. Yeah, that's right. And as, as you, you know, we were talking earlier earlier, we were talking earlier about the the golden calf incident where Aaron was you know behind the building of that calf here he does show his faithfulness in the in the face of the death of his two sons who have been unfaithful so it's a, it's a remarkable thing to to see how the lord's word has been at work in Aaron to make him faithful in this case and that what moses says there about those who are near the lord that is the priests, uh, those need, the Lord will be sanctified by them. That's going to occupy a lot of the rest of this chapter in terms of how the priests are to accomplish that, how they are to sanctify the Lord's name before the people. Before that happens, though, there is the matter of Nadab and Abihu. They've died right here, and their bodies are there, so something needs to be done about that. And so we we meet in verse 4 uh, two, two people that I'm not sure that, they show up anywhere else in the scriptures. Maybe they do. Uh, Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron. Uh, why does Moses call upon them? What's their role in this account? Yeah, so we, we kind of we notice right away that the fire that Nadab and Abihu give are out of place, right? It, it should not have been used in the sanctuary, and so they die. Well, now you've got something else that's out of place. You've got the corpses of Nadab and Abihu. Uh, they're unclean. And they certainly should not be in the near presence of the Lord. So they're they're unclean. If anyone touches their unclean corpses, then they too will be rendered unclean. And so their corpses really threaten to defile the priests, to desecrate the sanctuary. And so Moses had Nadab and Abihu's cousins, Mishael and Elzaphan, uh, carry these corpses in their coats, we're told, out of the camp. Uh, and this way they would not touch the dead bodies uh, and be rendered unclean as they buried them. Uh, there's also the thought that maybe they aren't, you know, a part of the uh, priests exactly like Aaron's sons are. And so even if they were rendered unclean, it would at least spare the other priests. Um, either way, there's a desecration of the sanctuary going on here with these unclean bodies, uh, these dead bodies, and this would defile uh, the priests who who were there uh, still needing to do the work of the Lord. Mm. All right, so even in the the way that the Lord provides for these two unclean corpses to be disposed of, he is concerned again with him being sanctified by those who are near him. And so I think, I think you're right that the fact that it's, it's Mishael and Elzaphan who are what, cousins of, of Moses and Aaron, if, if they're sons of the uncle, yeah, that make them cousins of, of Moses and Aaron. So they're, they're Levites, but because they're not of Aaron's line, they're not going to be the high priest or the priests. And so even there, in just the the people that are chosen, the Lord, it seems, is making use of the standards that he's already set. He's providing for the the holiness of his name 
even in the way that that these corpses are are removed from the tabernacle. Yeah, it shows that the Lord is. I mean, you you can't throw him for a loop. He, he knows he knows what to do, even when we violate that the holiness that that he demands, and he will make it work out. And so he he finds a way, and and then they keep on going. And so that's what we see in this in this aftermath of Nadab and Abihu's death is that uh, Moses first of all makes the arrangement of the burial. Um, but then he goes on and and continues to show that the Lord will have his divine service continue, will have his priesthood continue, uh, because this is all, again, uh, for the sake of his holiness amongst these people and foreshadowing uh, the Holy One of Israel who will come, our Lord Jesus, uh, who is the, the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. And so, yeah, it is it is amazing how the Lord even when something goes wrong, we'll still make it all work out for good uh, and take care of whatever needs to be taken care of through his proper instruments. So as the the arrangements then for the burial have been made there in verses 4 and 5, Mishael, Elzaphan are to carry out the two bodies in their coats, not touching them. Then in, in verses 6 and following, Moses gives instructions to Aaron and to Eliezer about the hair of their heads, what they do with their clothing, and where they are to stay. Why these instructions in verses 6 and 7? What's happening there? Yeah, it's talking about the funeral. So when it when it says, do not uh, let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the congregation. Uh, you know, when you would let your hair hang loose and you tear your clothes— this was a way of expressing grief uh, in, in the Old Testament. We, we see that quite often. And so this is talking about them going and mourning and then attending the funeral. And so what Moses is telling Aaron and his sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, is not to mourn, but just leave that to the whole house of Israel uh, to bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. Uh, and then he, again, threatened them with death because of this and they're not to attend the funeral either. And the reason is because the Lord had anointed them as priests and their service was to be rendered at the tent of meeting. This was more important. And that's that's a stark thing to think about well, and quite the contrast that these priests uh, are not to set aside what they are doing in order to go to a, a mourn the funeral. I mean, I, as a pastor or as any priest of testament in the sense of all of us as christians being priests through faith in christ um we would uh, for a loved one a brother right or two uh, stop what we're doing in order to go to a funeral get somebody to fill in for us as pastors right um or or take time off of work as a christian here this is really quite uh, important that we see that, that they not ever give any impression as the priests, that there's something more important than the priestly duties that they have. Um, because it, again, is uh, giving the holiness of the Lord or allowing the, the people to come before the holiness of the Lord through the sacrifices that are, are given that are pointing forward to, to Christ. And so it, it really is here, these instructions to, to the priests uh, not to mourn or attend the funeral a lot more than just don't go to this. You got something to do. You have the work of the Lord, the divine service to do. Well, and so I think that you know the note about they they're the ones who are anointed. Then 
they are in this same place really as, as Nadab and Abihu. Nadab and Abihu were anointed before the Lord. They had been put in this holy position. And look what happened when Nadab and Abihu misused the holiness of the Lord, approached his holiness in a way that he had not authorized. They were consumed by the fire. And so you know, not only does this serve as a, a teaching to the people of Israel of, again, the importance of the holiness of the Lord dwelling among them in a way that won't consume them and the role of Aaron and his sons in that, but also even just as a, a protection for Aaron and his sons, lest in their you know grief over the, the sons or the brothers, that they would you know, desecrate the holiness of the Lord by their actions. So that in, I mean, in giving this instruction, then the Lord or Moses th- gives the Lord's word to Aaron and, and his sons so that they are not, they don't meet the same fate as, as Nadab and Abihu by desecrating the Lord's holiness in their grief. Yeah, that's right. And it must've been again, like with Aaron, uh, where he uh, was silent. Uh, it must've been quite a difficult thing to do. Yeah. These were their brothers and they were anointed together to serve. But yeah, they are the Lord's anointed as priests to do this work of of uh, sacrificing and and bringing the people before the holiness of God uh, through the blood. And you know, this is this is something that we can put point forward to. Uh, we're going to talk about this toward the end about how Christ fulfills this. But it is interesting just to think about how how Jesus uh, did not allow anything that was just a personal consideration to stand in the way of his work either. Uh, and there are all sorts of things that people might say are more important uh, than the sacrifices that these priests were given. But the Lord knew and uh, wanted them to know and wanted all the people to know that really there there isn't anything more important. Uh, we know that if this the fulfillment of this is in Christ, it really makes sense then. Is there anything more important than the than Christ following his father's will as the anointed, the Christ? Yeah. Uh, no, there's nothing more important than that. So there's nothing more important for them either uh, than doing this. Yeah, that's right. Didn't you know that I had to be about my father's business or to be in my father's house? The 12-year-old Jesus tells that to to Mary. I mean, even his interaction with Mary at the the wedding feast in Cana, my time has not yet come, that, that over and over again, the the son submits to the father's will. He seeks after what his father has given him to do. That is the most important thing that Jesus has to do, is to keep the father's will to win for our salvation. We're seeing that as a type of what is to come in Christ here in Leviticus 10. We're going to keep looking at this text more on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. You're talking to Pastor Stephen Price this morning. We will be right back. Please stick around. Who does Lutheran Church Extension Fund serve, you ask? It's simple. We serve Lutheran Church Missouri Synod ministries and church workers with loans and ministry services. And it's faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, investing with LCEF that makes it possible for LCEF to serve these ministries. Learn more at lcef.org. 
LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, September 7th. We're studying Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 to 20 with Pastor Stephen Preuss. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, we were talking about the Lord's instructions to Aaron and to his surviving sons that they are not to participate in the funeral rites of the the brothers of Nadab and Abihu. Rather, the rest of the house of Israel is to go about the mourning for them. The Aaron and his sons are to remain there in the tent of meeting lest they die. At that point, then, something rather significant happens here in the book of Leviticus. In chapter 10, verse 8, the Lord does not speak to Moses at this point, nor does he speak to Moses and Aaron together, but he speaks directly to Aaron in verses 8 to 11. This is a significant moment where the Lord addresses Aaron particularly as high priest. What does the Lord have to say to Aaron in verses 8 to 11 of our text? Well, the first thing he says is, drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons, with you when you go into the tent of meeting Lest you die, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. And this prohibition of the priests consuming alcohol during their liturgical service is likely mentioned here for a couple of reasons. Some would say it's part of the funeral service, uh, was what they called the cup of consolation. We hear about this in Jeremiah 16. And so they're not to be going to the funeral, they're not to be mourning, and so this is a continuation, some would say, of what was spoken of before in the verses uh, previous in verse 6 and 7. Another option is just the idea that, you know, maybe Nadab and Abihu's uh, acting rashly was because they had taken part in uh, drinking this intoxicating drink, and so they were not able to then be careful and they made mistakes, and this uh, provoked God's judgment. And so that's another option that, that could be there. Uh, they are meant to be there in the midst of the sanctuary to uh, bring the, the people of Israel before the holy presence of God. And, and by making a mistake, obviously it causes judgment not only for the people uh, who are guilty, the priests, but also upon the people of Israel uh, if the priests are not doing what they're given to do. So... Um, they're supposed to attend to this lest they die. And he then gives kind of a a summary here of what they're all to be doing in general. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. So here we see that, uh, you know, when when these people are, these priests are given to distinguish between what was God's, right, the holy and what was not, the common, between that which was clean and unclean. This was safeguarding God's holiness, protecting God's people from the ramifications of desecrating his holiness, like what happened with Nadab and Abihu. And so the priests were responsible for for teaching this distinction to the people of Israel, and any type of drunkenness uh, would certainly not allow them to be able to do this 
clearly. So however you want to look at that, clearly this this prohibition is is meant to keep the priests attentive to the holy work that the Lord has given them to do. The note here in verse 11, where the Lord tells Aaron to teach the people of Israel all these things, I think is pretty significant because we normally think of the priests as those who are doing the sacrifices. As we'll see in the coming chapters, they're going to be, you know, the ones who are examining various skin diseases and things like that to to see what is clean and what is unclean. But the teaching role of the priests, I think, is something that we forget about. And, and I, I would imagine that teaching role certainly involves the the vocal teaching. So they are to you know tell the people this is what is clean, this is what is unclean. You know, again to use the skin diseases as an example, if you've got this on your on your skin, you need to come and talk to the priest so he can look at it. Those are the kinds of teaching they would do. But even just in the rites themselves, you know, the first seven chapters of Leviticus, as you said toward the introduction are a list of sacrifices that are to be done. And as a part of those sacrifices, there's not a lot of oral instruction, it seems. There may be some, but there's not a ton. Just the fact that they're doing the sacrifices, and in the way that they're doing the sacrifices, that in and of itself is a teaching and a a proclaiming of Christ's sacrifice ahead of time. I just think sometimes we forget about this teaching role of the priests, and it's, it's helpful to see it here in Leviticus 10. Yeah, it is. And it's it's a both and, isn't it? Uh, I mean, you think about that as a, I think about it as a father. I mean, my children learn from what I do and not just what I say. And so too, the people of Israel are learning from what the priests are doing, and they're certainly proclaiming through their actions. But they are also teaching uh, the law of God, and they're, they're making decisions about things based on the law. Uh, these priests are... Uh, really the ones who are teaching what it means to be holy and what it means to not be holy uh, to the people in, in both these ways, both through their words and through their actions. So with that instruction, again, directly from the Lord to Aaron, then Moses speaks up again. He speaks to Aaron and to Eliezer and to Ithamar, the surviving sons of Aaron. And he has instructions about some of the offerings that are to be offered, what is to be eaten, things like that. What do we what do we hear from Moses to Aaron and to Eliezer and Ithamar there in verses 12 to 15? Yeah, so Moses speaks to all three of them and and tells them to take the green offering that's that's left of the Lord's food offerings and to eat it unleavened beside the altar uh, because it is most holy. Uh, tells them to eat it in a holy place. It's their due, their son's due from the Lord's food offerings. Uh, for so I am commanded. Uh, and talks about the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed. You shall eat it in a clean place, you and your sons and your daughters with you, for they are given as your due and your sons due from the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the people of Israel. And mentions also the thigh that is contributed and the breast that is waved. They shall bring with the food offerings of the fat pieces to wave for a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be yours and your sons with you as a do forever, as the Lord has ended. So here he's telling them to consume uh, that which uh, had already been begun. So before the deaths of Nadab and Abihu, uh, these, these sacrifices were begun. And they were not made unclean by their deaths. Instead, the Lord commanded the use of these sacrifices as food for Aaron and his sons. And so he's telling them here uh, to make sure that they actually complete uh, that that eating as the Lord would expect of them. 
So and it seems then that between verses 15 and 16, those things take place and begin to take place to the point that after some time, it seems, passes in verse 16, then Moses comes back to, to ask about how this is going. And he asks particularly, it says, about the goat of the sin offering, and he finds out that it was burned up. And this causes him to be angry with Eliezer and Ithamar. Why does Moses become angry in this case? What's going on as Moses addresses Eliezer and Ithamar? What's going on is the sin offering was given so that the Levites would bear the iniquity of the congregation of Israel to make atonement for them before the Lord. Uh, The Aaronic priests would bear the iniquity of the whole priesthood then on the day of atonement, a scapegoat would bear the iniquities of both the people and the priests so that no one would die for a sacrilege to God's uh, holiness. And the priests, what had happened is that they they had broken God's law that governed these sin offerings. Uh, when the sin offering was not for priestly atonement, the meat was eaten instead of burned. And so since this offering was not for priestly atonement, they should have eaten it, not burned it. And so they messed the two things up. And so Moses was rightly angry at this. This is not what should have happened, uh, but uh, they they did it anyway. And and that's why he ends up being so furious at them uh, that they, after Nadab and Abihu had, had offered unauthorized fire and then brought judgment upon themselves. Now here you have Eleazar and Ithamar uh, seems seem to be doing something that would also cause God's wrath to come upon them. Okay, so Moses has his objection, and he becomes angry, as you said there, in, through verse 18. But Moses has, or Moses' brother, Aaron, has an answer for on behalf of his sons. What's Aaron's reasoning there in, in verse 19? Well, he reasoned that since the Lord killed his sons and was not pleased with their offerings, then he would not have been pleased with Aaron either uh, if they had eaten the meat from that same sin offering. That's the way it seems he's he's figuring it out in his mind. Uh, their disobedience annulled the atoning effect, and so Aaron uh, wasn't going to dare eat that meat. And Moses' approving of this really signals that the Lord found this reasoning sound as well, or at least accepted it. Mm. Yeah, and this is, I mean, this is an interesting thing because clearly, you know, Nadab and Abihu might have had their reasons for doing what they did, and there was not going to be a, a reason that they could give that the Lord was going to receive. I, I think, and I don't, you can tell me what you think about this, but I think the difference in this case with, with Aaron is, is one, there is, it seems, an ambiguity in what is happening here that, that Aaron recognizes for both him and his two surviving sons to the effect that because of what has happened to Nadab and Abihu, the state of Aaron and his two surviving sons is maybe, they're not sure, are, are we really clean or not to go ahead and eat this meat? And so they they err on the side of caution by not eating the meat, lest in in ignorance they do defile the Lord's holiness and so bring upon themselves this consuming fire. And, and the other thing that I, I think is a, a difference is precisely what the Lord has said to Aaron earlier in this text, where in verse 10, the Lord commanded Aaron to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. It seems that that's precisely what he's trying to do here according to what the Lord's revealed to him. And so I, I think for those reasons, Aaron's reasoning in verse 19 isn't just an excuse, but it's actually legitimate that, it, as you said, Moses receives, and it's also acceptable to the Lord. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that they they thought this is tainted 
and so um, it's it's got to be tainted by these sins that Nadab and Abihu just committed, and so yeah, or on the side of of not taking something that would be uh, unclean now, um, but rather uh, you know just assume that the Lord will work this out. But yeah, I mean, being cautious is certainly what Aaron was doing, and I think your reasoning makes sense to me too. All right, so with with that chapter in mind, then I mean, this is this is what has happened. We've looked at the the death of Nadab and Abihu, the aftermath, what the Lord tells to Aaron, and how Moses responds, and even the way that you know, it's I think it's it's striking. We didn't really say this yet, but it is striking to see Moses how he recognizes Aaron's role as high priest there and says, "Okay, you're you're right. You're the high priest. Let's let's do that." I, I think that's a, a significant thing as well. But with those things in mind, let's talk about how we see Christ, the fulfillment of these things in in the New Testament. What's what's I mean just take us through. There's several things that we can talk about here. Uh, take us in that conversation about how this is fulfilled in Christ. Yeah, the first thing I think that we need to consider is how our uh salvation is gained uh and God's presence uh, has two effects on people. So you have the, the fire of the Lord's present brought both atonement in chapter 9 and then wrath here with Nadab and Abihu. Uh, the same is, is the case in the church today. In John 3, we hear Jesus, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Uh, this is showing us then that here Jesus is present and he's there to gain the salvation of the world. And yet those who do not believe in him do have to face his wrath. And so just because he has gained our salvation does not mean that everybody receives that salvation in faith, right? And so uh, God's presence having two effects on people we see just in, in whether people believe or do not believe in, in Jesus as the son of God who came to save them. Um, and the same thing goes for those who proclaim this gospel. Second uh, Corinthians 2, St. Paul says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life, who is sufficient for these things. And the point here, again, is that God is present through the proclamation of his word and the administration of his sacraments uh, according to Christ's institution. And and as he is doing this, the the minister of the word uh, is a fragrance for those who are being saved in a good way uh, and and in a bad way for those who who are rejecting it. So there's God's presence is is going to have these two effects on people. And we see this clearly within the Lord's Supper in First Corinthians 11, where those who do not discern the body of Christ, which is God intends to bring forgiveness, right? This is given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And yet if they do not discern the body, it actually brings judgment. And so coming before the holy God uh, and into his presence without the atoning blood of Christ, uh, the, this, this means death. And since these sacrifices in the Old Testament were meant to foreshadow that which Christ would give once and for all, you can see how this is fulfilled in Christ, that without Christ, without the priest giving himself as, as the victim, um, we, we cannot approach the holy presence of, of God. Mm. Yeah, I think, so, um, well, just to, to, to try to add to that a little bit, I think of the importance then 
of the first petition of the Lord's Prayer when we ask for God's name to be holy among us and how how serious a thing that is when we would profane the name of God, whether by our false teaching or by our false living. I think we we, we tend to take those things for granted. And we, you know, to go back to the quote from C.S. Lewis that you brought up earlier from the Chronicles of Narnia, we don't, we, we just act as if God is is somehow a tame lion or that he's he's safe and not not ever approach him in the fear of God that the Old Testament so constantly talks about. So, I mean, if this is the case then, and, and I think Leviticus 10 clearly shows that, then how much more is our need to to pray the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, which sometimes we just kind of pass by without thinking about what that means. Well, we, we really do need God's name to be made holy among us. No, that's exactly right. And and that's one of the things that we need to consider here is we'll talk about, you know, the ministers of the word today, but we also need to talk about how all God's people are priests. Yeah. And so we're, we are called to hallow his name. Uh, to pursue God's holiness, to avoid the pollution of the world, to be sober and not drunk, right, and filled with the Spirit, to serve Him as He's commanded us, and uh, and ultimately to to cling to the Holy One Himself, our Lord Jesus, for dear dear life and salvation, in 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 trusting faith. And so, yeah, this this is something that we we cannot get out of our sights. For that first petition is is. There's a reason it's the first petition and not the last one. Yeah, that's um, right. It, it's it's the one that the the devil, the world, and our sinful nature want to throw away. Right? They don't. They don't. They don't want God's kingdom to come. They don't want His name to be hallowed. Yeah. And so we are in constant need of of uh, reminding, uh, of being reminded of that. Mm. Uh, well, Pastor Person, you've you've mentioned uh, as we've been thinking about how this applies to us and is fulfilled in Christ today. The, the need for discerning the body in the Lord's Supper, the approaching the Lord's holiness there, but within just the whole context of the divine service, because that, you know, we're talking about the divine service here in Leviticus 10 for Old Testament Israel, with the divine service that Christ gives to us today now, how does this text inform the way we would approach uh, the divine service as Christians? Yeah, a great question. I, I think that if we look back to Leviticus 9 again, and just hear that the, the fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Uh, and we hear in Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Uh, when we participate in the divine service today, we should see it as a matter of life and death. And it is life for those who by faith receive the Lord's forgiveness that is blood bought, right? Through his atoning sacrifice on the cross and those who receive it in repentance, but then death for those who refuse to repent uh, and they will face the wrath of God. And so our worship should uh, certainly uh, under be understood according to the blood atonement of Christ and his resurrection. So there is a reason for, for us to receive in reverence the, the forgiveness that we have received as poor, unworthy sinners, but then also that awe of the divine service that here our living Lord comes before us to give us these good gifts, to forgive us our sins, to give us eternal life, to give us salvation, to, to teach us. And we learn from him who is who is gentle and lowly and hard, and he gives rest to our souls. And so uh, there is death for those who refuse to, to repent here in the divine service. Uh, and there's also life 
for those who by faith receive the Lord's forgiveness and repentance. So I think that that's something we can learn from this text as well. Uh, and just kind of the, the contrast we saw from chapter nine to chapter ten. Mm-hmm. Now, how do how do we see Jesus very specifically in this text as the the fulfillment of what happens uh, to, in, throughout the chapter? Yeah, I think the simplest way for us to think about it is that Jesus is is the God Man who comes as the High Priest and the sacrifice all rolled up in one. Um, we could also call him the, temper, the tabernacle and the temple, but uh, uh, he obviously is the fulfillment of all of, of the Old Testament. But his blood, uh, his atoning blood, is what protects us from God's wrath so that we can approach God without fear uh, of, of damnation and death. So he really is the fulfillment of this, not just with that, you know, that fact that God's presence has two effects on people, but ultimately the reason it has the good effect, that is forgiveness, God's grace, is because Jesus is God's son made flesh who became that priest who gave his life as the atoning sacrifice for all of our sins. And that's really the heart of the fulfillment of all of this uh, in all of Leviticus and of all the, the, the Old Testament. Yeah. Now, as, as we think about the role of Nadab and Abihu as priests who offer unauthorized fire, and then Aaron, along with his two surviving sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, as those who are, are faithful, who, who listen to the Lord's commands and do distinguish between what is holy and common, between what is unclean and clean, how does this apply to those in the office of the holy ministry? Obviously, the office of the holy ministry doesn't—you don't draw a straight line from the priests to there. There are some differences, but there's certainly plenty of application. So how might pastors take a text like this to heart? Yeah, and I appreciate that that warning. We were not saying that there's a one-to-one comparison here between the priests of the Old Testament and the, the ministers of the Word today. Pastors today, uh, though, are—there uh, are a lot of parallels. Uh, we are required to be faithful stewards of God's mysteries, just like the priests were. Things go wrong when we are not faithful stewards of God's mysteries, uh, just as things went wrong with Nadab and Abihu. Uh, we're told that we must not be drunkards, not be given to much wine, and so— uh, too, they were instructed in the same way so that they would be faithful. We're told uh, by Jesus in, in the Sermon on the Mount not to give the holy things to dogs. And so there's a distinction between that which is holy and that which is, is common, uh, and that which is clean and that which is unclean, and to teach these distinctions to, to God's people uh, so that we would admit repentant, clean uh, uh, sinners who have been cleansed by the blood of Christ uh, through faith, and then exclude the unrepentant and unclean uh, from the Lord's altar. Uh, we're to guard what the Lord has entrusted to us, just as the priests did. And, and we could go on and on. So there are a lot of parallels here, but ultimately it, it is a call to be and to remain faithful and to not be distracted by anything else. Uh, there is nothing more important than Christ and, and the work that he has done. And that is what we need to give out as pastors to the people who have been given to uh, us under our charge uh, is that we bring them to Christ. We bring them to the atoning blood that alone can take God's wrath away and, and show them a loving and merciful God. And so we, we bring them to Jesus and we are asked to be faithful in this. And so ministers, uh, pastors today can definitely learn uh, what it means to be faithful and to know that God does wants to uh, take that seriously. We will be judged with uh, more strictness 
right? Uh, uh, James says in chapter three, and that uh, whoever has been given much, much will be demanded. And so if God's entrusted much with us, uh, let us uh, be faithful in that and, and not be like Nadab and Abihu, but, but rather um, seek to be faithful in our calling. Yeah, and I think, I mean, all all pastors and, and all Christians as well, sometimes and we just get this temptation that we think we know better than God, right? I mean, sure, the fire that you commanded, Lord, that was good in this case, but I, I have a better fire to offer right now. I, I could do it better. And we just, this never works. Whenever we think we know better than God to offer something that he has, he has not commanded to do something, you know, we think we've just got a better recipe than he does. It, it never works. And and just that coming back, as you said, to, to the Word of God and to constantly bringing people to Christ as their Savior, that's that's the key, to, to never think we know better than the Word or can improve upon what He's given, but simply to put our trust in what He has given, to use those things as we minister to the people of God. That, that's such a, a huge thing. And really, that's that's for all of God's people, then, to, to put the trust in the Word of God rather than thinking, we know better than than he does. That that deals with the holiness of God's name. We talked a little bit about this before. Pastor Price, you mentioned all God's people are priests in the New Testament. Uh, help us to use that topic. Help us to wrap things up. We've got about two minutes here on the morning. Yeah, you know, when we, we think upon the priests of the Old Testament, there might be a temptation for some to try to do a one-to-one comparison with the, the pastors because, you know, they're the ones who are up in front and doing all these things. But that's not the case. If we read in First uh, Peter chapter three, uh, we we hear that we are to make a defense, every one of us, uh, to honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. We're all called upon uh, to to say that which uh, is holy, and to speak of the Holy One and His holy name to pursue God's holiness, to avoid the pollution of the world, uh, to be sober, not drunk, to serve him as he has commanded us. Uh, and, and that is because we are we are priests. Uh, and we hear this also in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, where it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we should see ourselves as that royal priesthood, those who are baptized and believe in our our Lord Jesus, and to see that uh, everything that God has given to us is holy. That's why uh, he gave it to us, is that we would be set apart, that we would be blessed by his name uh, and everything that his name stands for, which ultimately is salvation. That's what Jesus is. It is the name that saves. Uh, It's the only name that saves. It's the name above all other names. It's the name at which all knees will bow. It is the name that means the Lord saves. The Lord is salvation. And so this is why we as the holy people of God uh, continue to take pains to, uh, unlike Nadab and Abihu, uh, pay attention to what we have been commanded and all the more look at the fulfillment of this and believe uh, that Christ is our great high priest who has sacrificed himself to take our sins away, shedding his blood so that we are brought before the holy presence of God himself, uh, cleansed, perfect, pure, and holy in his sight. Uh, All of that has been given to us in our baptism, and we can rejoice in that, even in the midst of a a chapter of Leviticus that seems uh, full of a whole lot of uh, doom and gloom. 
Pastor Stephen Preuss is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa. He's been helping us today to study Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 to 20. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Leviticus chapter 10, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.